This is a podcast from China Daily Hong Kong. Thanks for tuning in to an edition of Story Spotlight, where we engage with a CDHK reporter and dive deeper into a recently published story which drew a buzz. A deadly fire at one of Hong Kong's illegal restaurants that saw eight people killed back in November casted a spotlight on the safety operations of the city's illegal eateries, but also on the fragility of life for its South Asian members. In part one of a two-part series, I'll be speaking with CDHK multimedia producer Ravi Bajpai on his recently published video story called Tinderbox, which examined the aftermath of the deadly blaze in the Yamatai building. Ravi, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Ravi shares his experience reporting the story, talking to community members on what these eateries mean to many South Asian residents there, and how the government has a delicate task in ensuring the safety and legalities of restaurants, but understanding the concerns and realities of many minorities living in these areas. Your Tinderbox restaurant video that released last month,、uh, which included that deadly fire in November in Yamatai, and it sent shockwaves in the city and brought up issues that needed to be addressed. So I was wondering, what was the general sentiment that you got while covering the story amongst the South Asian community in the area, from both people and NGOs alike, toward the incident? You know, it's a small minority population in Hong Kong, and everyone knows everyone, especially the Nepalese community. That's even, I mean, you have far fewer Nepalese than, let's say, Indians. So almost everybody kind of seemed to know everyone else,、um, and most people I spoke to. They knew the victims personally or through some of their acquaintances, and so it was.、Um, I found it was not easy for these characters to talk about the incident. I had a lot of characters who were willing to speak to me over the phone, but then later they did not want to come on camera. There was this、mm-hmm. uh, one youngster I wanted to speak to to understand, you know, <clears throat> why they visit these kind of restaurants, and he agreed to meet me at a restaurant. But then just a night before we were going to meet, he sent me a message, and I'll read it out for you. Says hi, Ravi. There's an unfortunate news at the last minute. I just heard from the owner of the restaurant、uh, where we are going to film tomorrow, and his friend's relative was involved in the incident. So now they don't. They they completely want to avoid the topic at this moment, so they won't be able to permit tomorrow's shoot. So and and eventually this character also backed out. He said, "I will also have to back out because it's a very sensitive issue." Right. And and that's I, I felt. I mean, I felt. Part of the reason、uh, why they did not want to come on camera was, of course, because it was very personal to them, and that it was such a tragic incident. But also that many, many of them by now knew that the restaurant was illegal, and nobody wanted to be seen talking about, you know, having visited the restaurant. Right. So it was really difficult to get characters, and when I found characters, many of them sort of cancelled on me. Right.、Uh, so that that was kind of the the sentiment at that point. Yeah, you know, and you you mentioned that the Nepali community is a very close, tight knit community, which is you know completely true. Like, and they're often found in the same in the same industry, which is largely F and B restaurant, and they're very loyal to one another. So, that's interesting that you encountered that because、um, it probably automatically revealed to you the story is much more deeper than just illegal restaurants, but also you、yeah. know, like your video mentioned,、yes. the frailty of it all. Yeah,、um, yeah. that kind of leads me to my next question, which is. You know the the fact that your video coverage really showed the double-edged sword issue, where on the one hand,、yeah. you know there is this illegal restaurant、um, issue that needs to be addressed for safety hazards and old buildings and just keeping a track of all the restaurant licenses, but the on the other hand, that would require shining some unwanted light on venues with people just trying to make ends meet and in a city that maybe 
lacks the effort to integrate these communities. And at the end, at the end of the day, they're yeah. doing something which is bringing joy to a lot of people from their community, a taste of home. So how did your understanding and empathy towards this conundrum unravel while you were uncovering the story? When you think of such restaurants, it's easy to fall into the trap of uh, believing that people frequent them because they are cheap. And that definitely was on my mind once I started to explore more and I began speaking to people. But very soon I realized that while people did acknowledge that these restaurants are cheap, affordability wasn't really the top reason why they visited them. They said they go to these restaurants for two main reasons. One is the food that these restaurants serve. They said that the food reminds them of home. It has flavors that they cook at home and that it does not, you know, it does not taste like restaurant food. You can, I mean, if you look at it, you can find many restaurants serving South Asian cuisine in Hong Kong. But I was told that the flavors were nowhere close to what they would get at these kind of restaurants. And that would remind them of their home. Hmm. And then the other thing they said was environment at these restaurants reminded them of home. It's a place where they feel comfortable where they see people from their community. Almost everyone knows each other and it feels casual. In fact, one character I interviewed um, who actually survived the fire was at the restaurant when the tragedy happened. Mm. He actually said things like, you know, he can walk into these restaurants wearing a pair of slippers, shorts and t-shirt. He doesn't really have to get dressed to go to these restaurants. So I think that these restaurants aren't just an occasional outing for them. It's, right. You know, th- these restaurants are kind of second home for many where they spend downtime and unwind. And so while I started out looking to explore why the fire happened and largely focused on fire safety and illegal restaurants, these kind of sub-stories and subplots started to unravel as I dug deeper. And so the story kind of expanded to understand these dynamics and what it might take to strike a balance between safety and their way of life right and it's a very palpable familiarity is what you were just describing right it's a that very it's not just the food itself even it's the environment it's the the camaraderie ship the people like you said it's a lot more than just the food itself even being a taste from home yes Um, yeah Yeah, that's really interesting yeah so integration of these minority communities is obviously front stage in the story so how did the incident itself, that the infamous incident affect the relationship between local Hong Kongers and the minority communities in these areas, um, where obviously stigmas are already existing in the city. Was that revitalized post the incident by your estimation? Yeah, well, the story does try to explore the nature and extent of integration of these minority communities into the mainstream life uh, in Hong Kong. And I guess the issues might be very similar to minorities elsewhere in the world where, you know, minorities globally, you know, they, that's their constant struggle to kind of get into the mainstream and be recognized as the mainstream. Now, this area, Yamate, where the fire happened is heavily populated by people from the South Asian community. But you also have many local people from Hong Kong living alongside in these bad neighborhood and in these subdivided flats. I think, uh, to be honest, I... I I felt that the area is quite a comprehensive unit and I didn't see any kind of splitting along ethnic lines or at least uh, from from the people I spoke to. Right. Uh, Frankly speaking, I did not get any sense, uh, any kind of strong feelings towards one or the other community. Right. And actually, Hong Kong, there is no, um, where you don't find as much, you know, you have all these different communities living here, but there's no general like strife or disharmony. Yeah. I think, yeah. But you... 
but you've also got to understand that this area yamate is you know it's packed with people so irrespective of what ethnicity you are almost all of you are kind of living in the same right living conditions the right. houses are small there is not enough space for people to live in uh, everything is cramped the right. restaurants are small so i think uh, at at while at one level you might feel that you know there are different ethnicities and what kind of uh, attitude would one have towards the other the reality is that that the socio economic uh, setup of the locality kind of you know supersedes any other kind of considerations and everybody sort of understands uh, the reality that's all for the segment guys tune into part 2 of this episode next week with ravi on his findings reporting the story until then Stay healthy.